Welcome to the Southside Sermons Podcast. I am Christopher Campbell, pastor of Southside Baptist Church, located in Decatur, Alabama. This message you're about to hear is from God's Word and is offered to you with this prayer that God would give you eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to obey His Word. May your faith be strengthened in Jesus, and may you grow in your knowledge of Him. Jesus does not speak about the kingdom of heaven without speaking about righteousness repeatedly. What is righteousness, and why does Jesus speak so much about it? Righteousness is a characteristic of a person who does what is right. That Jesus speaks so often about righteousness is evidence that it is not natural to us. Much of the turmoil and division and fighting in the world proves that not everyone has the same view of what is right. Righteousness that belongs to the world is subjective righteousness. It is influenced by opinions of others or personal feelings or whoever will pay the most. But the righteousness that is from God is different. Righteousness that belongs to the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom we belong to now, the kingdom that is coming, is not subject to the opinions of others. God defines what is right. God is righteousness. We not only need God's righteousness, but we have received God's righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. And so the more Jesus speaks about righteousness, the more we realize we need him. Jesus makes it possible for us to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to endure suffering for righteousness' sake, and to have a surpassing righteousness so that we might enter into the kingdom of heaven. And because we are righteous, we practice righteousness. Because we belong to Christ and his kingdom, we are ambassadors of Christ in the world, doing kingdom things, righteous works. And this brings us to Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Jesus is not speaking to the crowds, although they are listening in. He is speaking to his disciples, his followers. He is speaking to those to whom these kingdom things belong. And once again, Jesus speaks about righteousness. Not to say, go acquire it, for you are they who already have it. Instead, Jesus speaks about what to do with the righteousness they have already been given. Because what we do with what we have matters. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Take note of the word righteousness and the word reward. 
Both of these words are misunderstood without God. Both of these words are subjective without God. Meaning, without God defining what is right, we don't know what is right. We don't know what righteousness is. Without God defining a reward, we are inclined to be short-sighted and seek after lesser, insignificant, and temporary rewards. How does God define righteousness and reward? The answer is with himself. God is our righteousness, and God is our reward. If we miss that, we miss the teaching of Jesus, we miss the Heavenly Father. What Jesus is teaching is meant to reveal the righteousness and reward of our Heavenly Father. And so this text is given to Jesus' followers and is given to us not in the form of a promise or prohibition. It is in the form of a warning. Whenever you study the scriptures or read the scriptures, it's important to take note of the tone of the scriptures. If the scriptures are praising in doxology, we don't need to mourn as we read them. If the scriptures are rebuking and correcting, we don't need to laugh. When the scriptures are speaking very simply and gently to children, we may need to sit down and speak softly on their level as the scriptures does. When the scriptures warn, we need to become serious. This is a serious warning. The first word is not blessed, it's beware. And when it comes to warnings, we don't need to seek for some kind of over-explanation of them. There's not some hidden depths or mysteries that we are to uncover in a warning. A warning is a warning. It is what it is. It oftentimes doesn't need to be explained. I had an opportunity years ago to travel to Europe, and we went to Ireland, and we went to the Cliffs of Moher, these 700-foot cliffs that drop straight off into the ocean, and you can see for miles and miles and miles. And as you come up to the cliff's edge, there was a sign in the ground with a warning. It said, do not pass this sign. There was a little trail that way. It said, do not pass this sign. Now, that sign did not go on to explain the warning because it didn't need to. It didn't say, the cliff can crumble and you can fall 700 feet to your doom. That was unnecessary. We don't have a problem understanding warnings. What's our problem with warnings? Obeying them. And I've got a picture. Maybe I'll find it and send it to you this week. But I have a picture of that sign on that 700-foot cliff and then the backs of two people as they're passing it, disregarding it. There was nothing that needed to be explained. It just needed to be obeyed. And if you come to this sermon saying, well, Pastor Christopher, you just told me what Jesus said. 
you didn't explain something deep or mysterious to me, then mission accomplished. Because our goal today is to hear this warning given to us and just simply obey it. Now, this is the first time that this word beware appears in Matthew and in our New Testament. And it's spoken by Jesus himself. Beware, pay attention, be on guard, be alert, be concerned. There is a danger here. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. Now that word practice is the word for do. If we are made righteous, we will do righteousness. It's who we are, it's what we do. But what does it mean to practice your righteousness? And I suggest that another way of saying practice your righteousness is to say to love. The context in which Jesus said, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. By doing things like loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you is in the context of love. Practicing righteousness is another way of demonstrating love, and love is demonstrated in observable ways. Romans 5 verse 8, but God shows or demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That was a very visible thing. And this act of God's love was the manifestation of the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, Romans 3, 21 and 22 and 25. And so God gives us righteousness and makes us righteous to demonstrate his righteousness as witnesses in the world. And notice that Jesus does not say, do not practice your righteousness before other people, because there will be times when we will. Jesus instead warns that we be very careful whenever we do for this reason. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. That is motivation. That's intent. That is the matter of the heart. What makes us tick? Why we do what we do? And Jesus says, be warned. When we practice our righteousness before other people, this temptation is there. This stumbling block is there. Something can shift. And we will be tempted to practice our righteousness, not because it is the right thing to do or the loving thing to do or God's desire for us, but we will practice our righteousness to be seen not by God, but by them. It's not whether or not people will see us, it's whether we are motivated or not by them seeing us. The construction of this warning is not meant to diminish the omniscience of God who sees all. God does see all that we do. But the way this warning comes to us, we can think of it this way, that if we practice our righteousness to be seen by others, then that is a righteousness that God doesn't see. God only looks upon the righteousness that is true righteousness, that is not 
limited to the superficial act alone, but the righteousness that goes deeper, that surpasses the act alone, the righteous act that is done for the right reasons. Isn't this what Jesus has been teaching us in our relationship with others? It's not that we don't murder. It's that we go to the very beginning of murder, which is anger. And we don't be angry, for anger has the same end as murder. Lust has the same end as adultery. We think about the beginning and the end of what we do. What begins in us and through us will reach an eternal end with another. So we act in such a way that promotes not eternal destruction, but eternal reconciliation with God and man. In the same way, the righteousness that we practice must begin and end with our Heavenly Father. It must be a work that the Father gives us to do, and it must be a work that has as its end the reward of the Father, not the reward of men. May we never let the opinions of others motivate or direct our activities of worship. What is done before others in the name of God must be done unto God. And so Jesus gives this first exhortation, Matthew chapter 6, verse 2. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. The follower of Jesus is contrasted with the hypocrite. The hypocrite is the play actor, the performer, the pretender, pretending to be something other than what they are. Don't be like them, for you are not like them. It's not who you are, follower of Jesus. It's not who I have made you to be. What work of righteousness do both of these perform? Here it's giving to the needy, charitable giving, mercy giving. And this is an act of righteousness. This is a work of love. Having the means given by God to meet the need of the poor and showing mercy for that person's need because that is what God did for us. Out of his abundant love for the world, he gave his only son for those who were in need as sinners and could give nothing back to God in return. And out of our love, we give in the same way, and this is a good thing, unless the end of our giving changes, unless the end result is no longer the meeting of that person's need so that we may glorify God, but instead the end changes for selfish gains so that the giver might be seen and praised by other people. How horrendous. What a selfish and sinful thing to rob an act of righteousness from its godly purpose and glory so that it might glorify oneself instead of God. 
And the scriptures teach that this happens in the synagogues and in the streets, in the churches and in the public square. We are not immune from hypocrisy by coming into the sanctuary of God. In fact, many hypocrites start and thrive in the secrecy of the sanctuary. It's a tragic sin that does not fool God. If it's the praise of men that you desire, Jesus says you have it. Congratulations, you have received your reward. But it is not the reward of the Father. Jesus says in verse 3, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This teaches us yet another thing about our Heavenly Father. Our Heavenly Father sees in secret. Now some use secrecy as a blanket to cover all kinds of disobedience and sin because you think, no one sees me, but God sees. And one day, later in Matthew chapter 10, verse 26, Jesus will say, nothing's covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. There's a day of revelation coming in a way that will make many people cringe. Jesus not only reveals to us the Father, but he reveals to us the motivation of our heart, and Jesus makes visible what is seen by the Father. And what God sees, God rewards, and it is those acts of righteousness done not by and not for self-glory and praise, but for God's glory and praise that are rewarded. Why are we not effective witnesses for Jesus in the world? Why do we not see more people come to faith? It is either because we are practicing our righteousness not at all, that we're not giving to the needy or we're not witnessing at all, or if we are, it could be that we are witnessing for self-glory and not God's glory. He must increase and we must decrease. We must lay down all pride and get ourselves out of the way so that God can receive all glory and honor and praise that belongs to him. Giving to the needy is an act of love toward God and others, the embodiment of the first and second great commandments. Hypocrisy, on the other hand, is the embodiment of a love for self over a love for others. Selfishness and Hypocrites are not of and do not belong to the kingdom of heaven. And so then Jesus turns to this central subject, an act of righteousness that reveals the heart like no other and the Father like no other. Prayer. Prayer is that one sacred act between you and God. And even that has been cheapened by those who seek to exploit it for public praise and self-gain. Jesus says, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. 
But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, our prayers can benefit other people. In fact, one of the great lessons that I learned for pastoral ministry is whenever we visit someone who's unconscious or not able to speak or acknowledge us, one of the great things you can do is pray the gospel over that person so that they will hear it and they will be encouraged in their faith even if they can't respond. Our prayers can benefit other people, and it's not that we don't need to pray out loud with other people. In fact, Jesus himself is teaching his disciples how to pray by giving them this example of the Lord's Prayer. Parents and grandparents, you can teach your children how to pray by praying out loud with them. But the prayers that God sees are not the ones that are motivated by a desire to be seen by other people. Notice Jesus' interesting use of words here. He doesn't say, your father hears in secret, but your father sees in secret. It's this idea of the motivation for why we're praying publicly. Is it that others will see our prayer or that God would see our prayer? This is about the posture and place of our prayers, and most importantly, the posture of our heart in praying. Verse 7, and when you pray, Jesus says, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Empty phrases is a way of saying repetitious babble. We pray fervently, but that doesn't mean we repeat the same prayer over and over and over in hopes that God or some other God might hear and answer us. No. Jesus says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. You don't have to explain your need to your father. He knows. And so the motivation of our praying matters too. Jesus reveals the Father's knowledge of our needs to remove for us any motivation of praying that limits the Father or promotes ourselves before others. Our prayers need not be shows before others, for they represent sincere communion with God. At our dinner table or at night, we give our children an opportunity to voice a prayer. My son has started to pray more, and this is what he says. Dear God, I hope you have a good day. Now, I want to stop him and correct him and tell him that he doesn't need to wish that God will have a good day, for God is good and works all things for good. But I don't intervene because he's not praying for me. I am not his audience. God is. That is a sincere prayer. And God knows what the motivation of my son's heart is. And in retrospect, it's probably 
not so bad of a prayer after all. For we don't want God having a bad day, do we? God knows the motivation of our hearts because he loves us. And so Jesus gives us words to pray, not to a single person, but to a group of believers. This is a collective group prayer. And every phrase that is given centers our motivation away from ourselves and upon the Father. Jesus says, verse 9, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This prayer is the centerpiece of the Sermon on the Mount. The words, our Father, immediately turn our attention away from ourselves and upon our Heavenly Father. And by the way, it is to our Father that our prayers are to be addressed. We do not pray to Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. We do not pray to the Holy Spirit. We pray in the Spirit to the Father. We then set his name apart as holy and pray for his kingdom to come. And what does it mean for God's kingdom to come? It means for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is why obedience to the faith is so important. Where is God's will done? And the answer is wherever God's people are obeying him. God's people, God's way. What was it that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane? Was it a selfish prayer? Keep me, Lord, from the cross? No. But he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And Jesus obeyed that will to the glory of the Father in heaven. To pray for our daily bread, it, it certainly reminds us of the manna that God provided for his people in the wilderness, what was needed day by day. But this prayer forces our dependence upon our Heavenly Father for our every need. We pray, forgive us our debts. Every time we sin, we are indebted to God. Sin is faithlessness. And so we live by faith only as a people who are forgiven by the Father, who alone forgives sin. We pray, lead us not into temptation. We do not know the way that we should go. Only God can guide us. Only God can lead us and deliver us from evil. And we pray this prayer together, not individually, because this is the kind of prayer that God honors publicly kind that declares that we are nothing apart from him. It's not possible to truly pray these words if we are a hypocrite. And so Jesus says in verse 14, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. 
why does Jesus pick up and expand this theme of forgiveness here? Because it is when we remember that God has forgiven us that we remember that we are indebted to him and have no reason to boast in ourselves before other people. Forgiveness is an act of righteousness that we have been shown and that we can show others. And this keeps us humble. And if we do not forgive others, the Father will not forgive us. And this cannot be stressed enough. Forgiveness is one of the most needed acts by God's people today. Do not harbor any unforgiveness in your heart. For if you pray to God and have not forgiven your brother or your neighbor, then you are a hypocrite too. Verses 16 through 18, Jesus says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Fasting is not so popular today. Few of us fast, and we probably should more often. Fasting in the Bible is going without food for a time, depriving the body of a need for a season to focus more fully upon the Lord in prayer. Fasting strengthens and intensifies our prayer life. Like giving and praying, the hypocrites made a show of fasting to be seen by others, and in doing so, they robbed the act itself of all of its power. Be careful, church. Every act of righteousness that we perform, every act of worship that we perform, we must be careful to do before the Lord. This is why when we gather together for worship, we seek to worship as a congregation. We do not highlight in this place any individual worshiper, but we do what we do together as a congregation. The songs we sing, the giving we give, the prayers we pray, the hearing with which we hear, the response with which we respond, the sending out, all of it's done as an act of a congregation, as a people together, so that we might not become pretenders and put on a show. Hear what one of the church fathers wrote. His name remains anonymous. He says this. You who have offered nothing to God, what do you expect to receive from God? Everything done on account of God is given to God and received by God. But what is done to be seen by others is poured into the wind. What is human praise but the sound of the whistling winds? Those who act on account of others to be praised by them have wasted their energy. What sort of wisdom is it to put on a show and to prepare empty speeches? Those who do so scorn the treasure of God waiting in eternity in heaven, preferring fleeting human words. It is better 
to do nothing than to act, to be seen. For those who do nothing, even if they do not enter heaven, at least squander nothing on earth. But those who act to be seen by others not only fail to enter heaven, but also earn pitiably little on earth. Those are challenging words. Jesus gives us a warning, a warning for our worship. And it is all based upon the Father with this resounding revelation about him. Our heavenly Father is not a hypocrite. When our Father said he would send a Savior, he did. When our Father said he would make a way, he did. When our Father said he would give, he gave. Everything that our Heavenly Father said he would do, he did and is doing. And how do we know this? By looking at Jesus. When Jesus died for our sins, he was performing an act of righteousness by obeying the will of his Father on earth. When Jesus was buried in the tomb, he was performing an act of righteousness by obeying the will of his Father on earth. When Jesus was raised again to life, he was performing an act of righteousness by obeying the will of his Father on earth. Jesus is proof that our Father is the true God. The Spirit of God is proof that our Father is the true God. So that we might be as those who pray, our Father, and ask for what is happening and will happen. That his kingdom would come and will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And may that begin with me and in us. As we obey the teachings of Christ, we are showing that God reigns on earth as he reigns in our hearts. And we bring glory not to ourselves, but to our Father in heaven. Thank you again for listening to this message. I pray that God would accomplish his purpose in you through the preaching, hearing, receiving, and believing of his word. If you wish to share any comments or questions about the message you have heard, please call Southside at 256-353-8814 or visit us on the web at southsidebaptist.net. Also, make sure to subscribe or follow this podcast to receive a new message each week.